Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ecolona, and this is Nashville. It only takes a few seconds to scroll through a dozen or so photos on your social media feed, but the time it takes to create that content, well, it takes a lot more than a few seconds, that's for sure, especially if you make a living as an influencer. For these people, posting social media content is business. The content that comes from it spans all interests. Love cooking? There's an influencer for that. Need help organizing and decluttering your place? There's an influencer for that. Later this hour, we'll meet some of Nashville's most popular content creators and learn how they are influencing our city. But first, Tennessee's 2023 legislative session kicks off today, and WPLN's political reporter Blaze Ganey is at the Capitol right now to get in on the action. Hey, Blaze, how's it going? It's going great. Awesome. Awesome. So set the scene for us. Where are you right now? Well, right now, I actually came back to my office in the Capitol to do this uh, just so it could be quiet. But right now, over in the Capitol, it is filled uh, with people, you know, in, in navy blue, black suits, wearing their favorite color tie, shaking hands with each other after not seeing each other for, you know, months, maybe since last session. And um, a, a lot of family members here also. I mean, this is uh, sort of like a picture day in high school or even like a a high school reunion, you could think of it. Mm. Now, so what's the vibe like with all this camaraderie going on right now? I mean, a, a lot of smiles. A lot of people are happy right now. Um, of course, there's likely no bills to be heard. Nobody's came here ready to necessarily debate today. So I think, uh, you know, right now it's just sort of like, you know, a team all getting together for the first time and, you know, after a holiday break, mm-hmm. everybody's in, 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 a, in a good cheery mood. OK, so, you know, it's day one. What does the makeup of the General Assembly look like this year? Well, Republicans still hold a commanding majority in both chambers, just like last year. Uh, they have a 75 to 23 advantage in the House and a 27 to 6 advantage in the Senate. There are a total of 23 first-time lawmakers this year, 19 of them actually in the House. The youngest is Nashville's Justin Jones, who's known for leading a successful protest to have the Nathan Bedford Forest bust removed in 2020. Um, So we'll see a lot of new faces. Also, a a thing to note, women, um, you'll see less women this year. Last year, there was 23 now there's only 19. Mm. Um, it's the lowest total since 1998. And also sort of a departure from the rest of the country that uh, where women are growing in politics. That's interesting. Hmm. Now, tell me, what do leaders anticipate will dominate this session? Well, the Governor Bill Lee's uh, agenda, he said uh, basically right after he was he won his reelection was that infrastructure, you know, build, building better roads, uh, building roads that will, you know, a- adding to the roads uh, as far as getting people from A to B quicker. Um, and that is the biggest thing. Uh, next after that will probably be education. Last year they had an overhaul of the the spending plan for education. And so this year I'd expect to see 
uh, like most people, when they work on a budget, they come back and make little small changes to make sure that it'll be, uh, you know, working for the best of all students uh, in the state. Um, and then after that, you'll probably see a lot of abortion talk. I'm not sure actual how many bills will will get moving on abortion, but uh, since the trigger ban went into effect. Uh, banning all abortions in the state with no exceptions. I'd imagine that that will be a topic uh, at least Democrat lawmakers will focus on. And it seems uh, this early that at least Republicans are willing to listen. Are they open to adding exceptions for rape and incest to the law? You know, when you say they, I think that that's the part we don't want to group in Republicans. I think this is where you start to see some of the intra-party divisions actually become more clear because you have Republicans who have already said that they're welcome to uh, exceptions for rape and abortion, uh, most notably House Speaker Cameron Sexton. But then you have uh, Senate Speaker Randy McNally, who's pretty much said the law as written right now is what they passed in, um, you know, what they passed and what they wanted. And that uh, it's sort of a non-starter with him. Now, he hasn't said he's going to not hear the legislation, but uh, being a Senate speaker is a, is a pretty powerful position. So if you say you don't want something done, it, it may not get done. Now, several of the first bills to get filed this year target the LGBTQ community, a theme we saw emerge last year. Is that a sign that legislation will you know, take on the cultural wars again? Uh, de most definitely. I mean, I, I don't think you can have politics, at least not right now, the way the country is without culture wars. Um, it, I mean, it gets everybody, sadly, it gets everybody excited. Um, you, you see a lot of stories, they get a lot of clicks. And I think, you know, these lawmakers know that and they know that they can also get their name out there uh, by sponsoring some of these bills. Now, I think it's very obvious that Republicans, both in Tennessee and across the country, are choosing to focus on, we have a drag show bill, a bill that would uh, ban any gender-affirming care for minors. And uh, just yesterday, there was actually a national feature um, on NPR that spoke about drag shows being targeted by Idaho legislators. So this isn't just here in Tennessee, it's, it's really all over the country. Now, last year, you could say that the Tennessee legislature was plagued by scandal. We saw one lawmaker expelled, another lawmaker resigned, and several others, including the former House Speaker, ended up under federal indictment for a kickback scheme. Has the legislature cleaned up its act, or should we expect more surprises this year? Well, I think everybody in Tennessee would hope that if they've cleaned up their act. I don't think anybody wants corruption to take place in or around their government. But also, I think, you know, leaders noticed what happened and, and they passed some ethics bills last year. They dropped a, a really, you know, omnibus is what a lot of people would call it, bill that um, requires more disclosure for campaign donors, uh, more transparency behind who's running political action committees. But I think, you know, like anything, will it be enough? You know, will. So, so it's really hard to say whether or not, you know, to expect something, but I, I I wouldn't be shocked. I would say that, and, and you shouldn't be shocked either if there is more uh, fraud or, mm. you know, scandals going on. Duly noted. Okay, so I'm going to ask you this question. A lot of people are concerned about this topic. What about the legalization of marijuana? Are there, is there any pending legislation on this matter? 
I haven't seen any pending legislation filed yet. Now, lawmakers do have a few more weeks, I believe, actually a, a little over a month to file all of the bills that they want heard this session. So it doesn't mean it won't come up. There was a bill last year, not necessarily legalize, legalization of marijuana, but um, adding restrict regulations uh, around the product uh, Delta 8, which is a cannabis derivative. Um, you know, so but it did die. Uh, so I would expect maybe that could come back up. Uh, I think, sadly, I think uh, for many people, sadly, I think uh, marijuana legalization for Tennessee is is not, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. What is an under-the-radar issue that could have a big impact if brought to the assembly floor? Um, You know, I, I think one thing that will have a big impact, definitely for us here in Davidson County, is a measure that was just filed yesterday. It would limit the size of municipal governments to 20. Um, as you may know from previous reporting, Nashville's Metro Council is the third largest in the country mm -hmm. at 40 members. So it would cut that in half. So just that alone, that would be a huge impact on Davidson County um, because if that passes, you'd have to redistrict and uh, obviously lose council members. Uh, it, it'd be a, a big change. We're actually going to have a show on that next Tuesday, so everybody be sure to tune in. That was WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey. Blaze, as always, Thanks for joining us. Now go give them hell out there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Have a good one. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we're pivoting to another powerful group of people, social media influencers. Who are some of the influencers based in Nashville? Stay with us and join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Social media presents itself in every aspect of our lives. It's a virtual gathering place where we can connect with friends from afar and make new ones. It's also a place where we can share our best moments, our greatest adventures, our best looks, and some of us do that for a living. Yes, I'm talking about influencers. These are the folks who have amassed a sizable following by developing their own brand and selling it on social media. So how exactly does that happen? What does it take to become an influencer? My next guest is here to tell us. Jasmine Sweet is a lifestyle blogger here in Nashville. She's on at Jasmine Katrina. Jasmine, thank you so much for being here and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Really a pleasure to have you with us. So, you know, the term influencer can sometimes get a little confusing for some. So, Jasmine, let me ask, how do you define influencer? I define influencer as someone who has crafted their brand based off of something that they're extremely passionate about and that they live by. And so it transfers authentically to an audience whenever that happens. Like you mentioned before, if someone is a chef and that is what they do for a living and they eat, sleep and breathe it, 
it's easy to create content around that because there's a passion that's driving all of the hard work that goes into content. And then they're able to share that with their audience and their audience picks it up and they pick it up from an authentic standpoint because they understand where it's coming from. It's not just somebody who chose a five minute recipe. It's somebody who actually puts a lot into their craft and shares it with their audience. Would you say that you are an influencer? I would say that I am an influencer by default. I have always been someone who has taken on leadership roles, whether it was in high school running 4-H and the DECA club or in college being um, an active member of my sorority and now into the real world running multiple businesses and also running marketing at iHeart. I'm someone who does all these things and has these passions and then I create content that narrates that and I share that with my audience and I think they're intrigued by um, me just being able to juggle all these things and share it as an influencer, as a lifestyle influencer that wants people to live more um, more enriching lives. So yes, I would say I'm an influencer and that's how I'm doing it. <laughs> now you, you really are juggling a lot. If you have multiple businesses, you have this full-time job, but tell me, how did you get into becoming a lifestyle influencer? I got into a, becoming a lifestyle influencer probably over 12 years ago. I actually went to school for broadcast journalism and I thought I wanted to be a news reporter. And I transitioned out of that straight into the corporate marketing. And when I did that, I also decided to start blogging. And so I took my experience as a corporate marketer and also a blogger and started to grow my brand and my social media by constantly putting out content and learning as much as I could about the craft of marketing on social media. And so coupling those together, I was able to start building an audience. Um, I lived in Memphis for 10 years, have lived in DC, have lived in Louisville, Kentucky. Now I've been in Nashville for seven years. I really built communities in all those different areas. And then those transcended into even larger online communities. And so that's kind of been my journey into building an audience and becoming an influencer. Now, you know, a lot of us blog, but it's often a pretty small scale endeavor. Did you ever imagine that your blog would take off as it has? Well, I'm somebody who's pretty optimistic about my craft. So I would say that I envisioned it taking off um, for sure. And if anybody's going to get into this business, I think you have to have a larger than life kind of mentality. It's one of those things that you have to do the job that seems impossible. I remember when I first got out of college and I was a social media manager for First Tennessee Corporate and I'd tell people, oh, I'm a social media manager. And they'd say, what's that? Hmm. Because 12 years ago, that was not a job. And so um, um, I had to even then take on the role of godmother of social media for First Tennessee, a corporate bank, and actually start selling that as even a, as a position. So I think if you're going to get into blogging, if you're going to become a country music singer in Nashville, Tennessee, whatever it is, you kind of have to have this out of this world optimism about where your craft is going to go and really sell it to yourself first and foremost. And then other people will start to pick up on that energy. Okay, so Having that optimism and that belief that you can do whatever you want, you can go girl and take on the world. How do you make a business out of blogging and influencing? 
So making a business out of blogging and influencing is first of all, collecting that energy and knowing your worth and knowing, so creating a pricing strategy of, and whether that's via time or currency, money currency, what that looks like. A lot of times at first you're going to take on collaborations that are in exchange for. And so you may not get paid for those opportunities, but you have to weigh what that currency of you putting in the time, the work and the energy looks like. Then eventually you can build on to getting paid collaborations and you can say, well, I have now worked with X, Y, and Z. For instance, when I first started travel blogging, one of the first brands that I worked with was the Chattanooga Hotel in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. I told self, I want to work with hotels. That's where I started. To date, I am now working with international um, brands such as Four Seasons Punta Mita. I just got back from working with Four Seasons Washington, D.C. I didn't start the business working with Four Seasons. I started the business in the, at the Chattanooga Hotel in um, East Tennessee. And so I think you have to be realistic. So like I said, you have to have this momentous vision for what you're doing, but then you have to be realistic about where you're starting. So it's okay to take free collaborations to get your feet wet and to build a portfolio and then go from there. Hmm. And then, then that will also give you a telltale thought of what your worth is and what you're willing to, how much work you're going to put in, what you, how much money it's going to take you to create this craft and go from there. All right. I want to give listeners a sense of the content you create. We have a clip here from a recent post. Let's listen. I am celebrating this year. I made it through my first year of motherhood and breastfeeding for one year plus. I went back to the nine to five, crushed all my marketing campaigns. I opened up an Airbnb, the sweet house, if you must check it out. I also met my financial goals 90% for my entrepreneurial ventures. I went to over 170 yoga classes. And the moral of the story is I stayed committed, I pushed hard, and I worked through every bit of it to earn the sweet life. And I'm proud. Wow. You know, some influencers have a particular niche that they're known for. But Jasmine, your post, they're like more of day in the life type of experiences. And that's the content you produce. How does that approach help you connect with your followers? I think that approach helps me connect because it's so real. I think it's so easy to look at social media and assume that everyone is just living their best life and everyone's driving Maseratis and everyone's living in mansions. And that is just not the case for a majority of the people in the world. So I think that if we're going to connect with each other, we have to come and find humanity amongst each other. So, I mean, I did make it one year on a breastfeeding journey when nearly most women within the first three months stop that journey. So for me, that was easy for me to share that as encouragement to help other women who might be going through the same thing as a new mother. It's easy for me to just put it all out there and help somebody. Even that vulnerability that I'm putting out there is much more valuable to me than telling somebody what my salary was for the year or um, that I bought a mansion. Those things are invaluable um, to me. And I I think if we're going to use social media in the best way or as influencers, I think we have to dig deep and find connections to humanity that that all of us can can grasp. So that's really where I'm coming from when I share my lifestyle brand on social media. I don't ever want it to be about material things. I want it to be about how you can build off of what you have with core principles and go from there. Do you think that 
you know, content that pushes some of this inauthenticity that you were talking about. Do you think that gives influencers a bad name? I absolutely think that it can give influencers a bad name, but I do think it's entertaining to a certain degree. So it's a hard thing to combat when you're in the influencer world because there's um, this degree of wanting to be a part of that, but then also this degree of needing to be authentic to to and for yourself. Because at the end of the day, when you get off social media, you are who you are. So what you put on social media if you can't live up to that, then you have to live with that at the end of the day. So that's kind of my motto and the whole comparison and what you're putting out on social media. I definitely think it can if you allow it to um, give influencers a bad rap, but hopefully people are finding um, authentic creators. And I will encourage any any audience member, if you're not getting what you need from an influencer, unfollow them. There are millions of other people out here. I believe we're all influencers and we all have something to offer. So maybe it's a fourth grade teacher that's offering tips that she gives to her students. Maybe that's who you need to follow versus the business person that's making millions of dollars. You can find value in other people on social media. Man, I wish they had a fourth grade teacher giving homework influencing when I was in elementary school. That would have been great. Okay. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Lake Alona. We're talking this hour about Nashville-based social media influencers. Tweet us your questions at this is Nashville. Now, I'd like to bring in my next guest. Ennis Saba runs the food blog account, Hidden Nashville Hidden Gems. You can find it on Instagram at Nashville Hidden Gems. Ennis, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. So, you know, tell me, what gave you the inspiration to create a social media account dedicated to international food in Nashville? You know, uh, it started a couple years ago, uh, kind of during my last couple years of college, um, a lot of my friends uh, in college were from California, New York, and they'd always complain about saying, like, you can't find this type of food here in Nashville. And um, I grew up being in a lot of different parts in Nashville, and uh, my family's business was in Antioch. And so I knew that we had a huge international community and that there was a lot of places where you can have really great international food. So I slowly started taking my friends out to lunch to these to these different spots and um that turned into um, a food tour that I started running uh, on Airbnb experiences. And then uh, I had a page to promote the food tour, uh, but when the pandemic happened, I had to shut that down. And I started to pivot my page a little bit from focusing on my food tour to now where it essentially completely focuses on international uh, immigrant-owned restaurants in Nashville. So mm -hmm. it started as a way to support uh, local, local businesses that were struggling during the pandemic. Did you ever imagine that this personal passion of yours were turned into something bigger? You know, uh, not really, to be honest. Um, I kind of just started it as um, a passion project and people really resonated uh, with, um, with the idea and uh, what I'm trying to do. And I think uh, there's just something, it's, it piques a natural curiosity when you see the phrase hidden gem. I think all of us uh, as locals, as consumers, like everyone wants to know what's good out there that like, not everyone knows about like the insider detail. And I think the name and that brand has really helped kind of grow the page and this natural curiosity around that. You know, so, you know, as your account's popularity increased, what did you do to take advantage of the new views and followers? Um, you know, um, I think what's been important for me is 
growing the page in an authentic way and really communicating and creating a community with my followers. Uh, as it grows, I never want to become like too big to talk to anybody. I try my best to respond to all my messages. I try to comment on different people's posts. I follow people back uh, because um, I think a lot of times as content creators, sometimes people, they expect all this engagement on their own page, but then they don't actually go out and engage with other people. And I think uh, the more you look at it as a two-way street, the more it becomes a community that's more fun and not something that I um, that you look at as just like an obligation or a task or something you're doing uh, kind of just for a paycheck. You know, question, how have you made a business of this? You know, um, it's been, it's been, uh, interesting and, um, I've actually, um, for a couple of reasons, I've been out of the country for a while. So I'm coming back next week and I'm really excited to grow Nashville Hidden Gems. I have a, a lot of projects that I had to put on, uh, on hold and there's a lot of ways I think it can grow. Um, one way is, and I think the irony when you have a, a, a brand built around hidden gem restaurants is well, they're they're hidden for a reason. You know, they don't necessarily uh, have the biggest marketing budgets. They're not necessarily posting on uh, social media or paying for ads. Uh, and so that's been a challenge for me. You know, is how do I uh, stay authentic to the brand um, while also turning it into a business? Because I, I sometimes I'll get offers for paid collaborations with with big brands and big companies, and I have to make a decision. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I have I have bills to pay too. And uh, most of the time, when I go to the restaurants I go to. I don't say I'm an influencer. I don't ask for a free meal. I don't ask for anything. I just, I go uh, unannounced and I just do, do my thing. And, um, and so as I'm going into 2023, one thing is uh, that I'm trying to do is uh, I take on more paid collaborations and just post more content more frequently, you know, being out of the country for basically this last year and a half, uh, it's been difficult to post as frequently as I used to. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm home, I try to get as much content as I can, but um, I think balancing paid collaborations with organic posts and this uh, this other direction, I want to take the business in and doing uh, more uh, food tours for uh, based around team building and and DEI and kind of doing more education about the immigrant community in Nashville. Mm -hmm. uh, I think um, that's really what matters to me in the end is uh, just sharing um, sharing this community in Nashville. That to me, it's what makes Nashville home for me. I grew up working in these communities, and uh, even though I. Um, I, I went to this, I was going to school in Brentwood. We lived, my family's from Yemen. We lived in Yemen for a while. And mm -hmm. then I was spending weekends uh, working in the Antioch area. And it just gave me this um, very uh, varied uh, perspective of, of life in Nashville. And mm -hmm. um, there's just a lot of beauty in these, uh, in these restaurants and something about the community that they create that really attracts me. And I want uh, to share that with people who sometimes are mm -hmm. hesitant for some reason or another for language barriers, whatever, to go into these uh, different areas and neighborhoods. And to meet people. Yeah, that's great. Now, let's say a listener wants to throw their hat in the content creation ring. Jasmine, what are the first steps they should take? If they are wanting to get into content creation, I would say the first steps you can take, we all have an iPhone. So learn how to work that iPhone. You'd be surprised. You don't need all this expensive equipment that you're going to see. Um, if you Google how to get into content creation, the first thing that's probably going to come up is buying expensive cameras and other equi equipment. And I think one of the easiest ways to get into it is to use what you have. Use the mirror in your home. Use your own kitchen. 
go to a restaurant, as he just mentioned, and just create content using your iPhone. It's all about just like being your authentic self and serving people exactly what you'd be doing on a normal day basis if that's what you're into, whether it's food or it's going to yoga classes every day or it's doing fashion or it's giving business tips, whatever it is, you already have the tools to make the content. That was lifestyle blogger Jasmine Sweet. You can find her on social media at Jasmine Katrina. Jasmine, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Ennis Saba is going to stick with us through the break. When we come back, we'll meet a few Nashvilleans who sort of stumbled into life as influencers. Do you think influencers are representing our city well? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. I'm willing to bet that there are tens of thousands of influencers uploading their latest content to social media as we speak. And that includes folks here in Nashville. Before the break, we were talking about how to make a business out of developing your personal brand. But how about gaining a following just being yourself online? Who are those influencers that got into the game because of their passions? My next guests are two of Nashville's most popular influencers, and they're pretty funny, too. Joshua Black is a comedian and visual artist whose Twitter handle is Sir Joshua Black, and Kevin James Thornton is a comedian and photographer who goes by Kevin James Thornton on Instagram. Joshua, Kevin, thanks for joining us, and welcome to This Is Nashville. Thank you, man. I appreciate you uh, having me in here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Really good to have both of you here. Now, you know, comedy is a big part of the content you both create. So let's go briefly back in time. Josh, how did you get into comedy? Uh, I went to I went on a cheap date, and I was like, hey, I got to find something. I just typed in probably, where do broke men take women? Okay. <laughs> or just <laughs> typed in something like that, and it took me to a, a dive bar called a Bobby's Idol Hour. Mm -hmm. And they had an open mic there. I went there, and a guy on stage roasted me. And I was like, I got to get him back for that. So I said, can I sign up? And they said, yeah, just come back next week. I came back next week, roasted them. People liked it. And they asked me, like, how long have you been doing comedy? And then the fact that they even took me serious was all I needed. And I'm like, I just went, that was it. So comedic vengeance was the vehicle. That's it, baby. I love it. Revenge. <laughs> Kevin, what was your entry point into comedy? Mine is kind of the same story. I moved to Nashville to try and get a record deal, and it wasn't working. Mm. And I was sort of at my breaking point. I'd started writing some stories, like embarrassing teenage stories. And I just wrote one, and I went to an open mic at Cafe Coco, and I just read it. But the room just, like, blew up with laughter, and I, I was like, oh, I have not felt that before. And hmm. like, maybe, maybe the record deal isn't working, but maybe this is. So and you just stuck with it. Stuck with it. And here we are. And, and move right to this moment. I love yeah. it. I love it. Now, from what I understand, you both saw your social media fortunes change over the course of the pandemic, right? Yes. Thank God for COVID. Yes. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I understand the difficulty with it. I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico doing a show. I think COVID oh. is what brought me here. Oh, so there you go. It shook everything up. It shook a lot of yeah, things yeah. up. Kevin, how did the pandemic really help you grow your audience? 
I got on TikTok like everyone else did just because we were stuck at home and people kept sending me videos. So I wasn't, I had no intention of doing anything. I was just watching other people's videos. And at some point I'm like, I could do this. I'm just watching people tell stories and do goofy things. So I made a couple and they got a bunch of views and I realized I was on to something and I just stuck with it. Now, you didn't feel like you were too old for TikTok? Because I think I'm too old for TikTok. I did it first because my nieces showed me TikTok uh, the Thanksgiving right before the pandemic. And there were weird sounds coming out of their phones and they were cheese, beans, tomatoes, potatoes. Yeah, yeah, that was the era. And <laughs> yeah, like yeah. doing dances. And I'm like, what are you looking at? And they showed me, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. But when I got on TikTok, I actually saw other people more in my age group. Okay. That's, if it was all kids, I don't think I would have done it. So, how did, how did it feel when you realized you had gone viral on TikTok? I remember the exact moment because I had, in my first month, I got about a quarter of a million followers. It happened really fast, and I walked into a Starbucks in Bellevue. And the baristas were all like, we love your TikToks. Mm. And I was like, that was weird. And then I walked right into a Kroger and the sa someone stopped me in the Kroger like five minutes later. It was like, I love your TikToks. And I went out to my car. I remember I had a moment. I was like, if I stop, this will end. But if I keep going, something's going to happen. I just felt like the earth rumbling under my feet. And I just decided to go all in. Wow. I really, I really do love this. Um, you know, Josh, during the pandemic, comedy clubs were shut down and you mm -hmm. had to physically perform your comedy. You know, you had no place to physically perform your comedy and right. share your talents. How did you adapt? I just did the same exact jokes I would have told at the open mics or at uh, a club. And I just did them on the phone. Okay. And I started working. Um, and I at first tailored it to uh, my content towards Nashville because I was in Nashville and that was what was working. Mm -hmm. And I knew Nashville because I'm born and raised here, so I just knew all the, the crevices and nuances. And I almost consider Nashville like a pretty girl who doesn't get any compliments in the club. Okay. So then when I go and talk to her, she's like, wow, no one ever talks to me. And then I think <laughs> after that, she was just so excited that she wanted to make love. Okay. And so we did that for quite a while. And I was like, Nashville, this is beautiful. But we got to go out. So now I'm at a phase where I'm trying to, you know, take it to that next. I saw I was talking to Kevin out here um, about, like, going to that next level of not just talking to Nashville, but representing Nashville on a broader scale. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I can't eat hot chicken every day. No. no. But it is fire, though. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good for the gut. <laughs> you know, one of the things you post on social media is like these man-on-the-street interviews oh, yeah. where you ask people about culture, oh, for race, sure. a whole bunch of other things that sometimes people get uncomfortable yeah. talking about. I've got, an privilege. I've got an example here. Let's listen. All right. In honor of my boy Takeoff, how do you say mother now? Mung. Mama, I give you that. I give you that. Mama, that's real. <laughs> Mama, yeah. Mama, can you name me two Asians? No. Ah, what about Wu Tang Clan at least? Who's your favorite Muslim? Uh, Come on, son. I'm trying to figure out how black are you. Are you ready? All right. The first question is: Have you ever attended a college homecoming of a school that you did not go to? Okay. Do you save your Kroger bags under the sink? I'm from Maryland, so it would be a giant bag. Yeah. But you do save them. Yeah. Being a native person from Maryland, it is giant <laughs> bags. Mine are not under the seat. 
They're in my cupboard. Oh, okay, but you got them. I got them. Got to have them. You, you never know, bro. You, you never know. You never Yo, know. I'm saying that it takes a lot of guts to walk up to strangers on Broadway yeah. and ask them these uncomfortable questions. Yeah. Where do you come up with these questions? Man, I, I come up with them at home, and I scratch out a lot of them, then I remix it, and I come up, and I finally have my list, and I take it downtown to the streets. Mm. Um, I am tall and black, uh, but I can sm- and I and I have a I have a decent smile. So I think the mixture of fear and adorability just makes people answer the questions. It's like, I don't know if he's going to kill me if, I, if I'm in love with him, but I got to answer this question, man. I was asking him out in the hallway. If I did that, I would be full of anxiety. If I had to approach people on Broadway, mm-hmm. yeah, I couldn't do it. You're a brave man. Oh, thank you, man. It's yeah. intense. It's intense. And it's probably the most hard content that I do, but it's also the most effective and people love it. So. It looks what like you a do? Lot of you got to give them what they want, man. That's right. Now, Kevin, you're well known for making these TikToks where you were talking about, you know, you're telling stories that are sometimes painful or awkward and they're from your past. And you are from a fundamentalist church youth group and a background. Let's, you put this really, you put this auto tune filter on it that makes it really unique and different. Let's listen to this. In my super fundamentalist church when it was the 90s, we did living music videos. And one time someone rewrote the lyrics to Total Eclipse of the Heart. And every time the song said, turn around, someone would turn around and then on their shirt it would say a sin like drugs (laughs) and then turn around secular music (laughs) and the girl lip-syncing the song was wearing a white dress and then we all smeared paint all over her white dress and then jesus walked in and clumsily picked her up and carried her off and then she reappeared a moment later wearing a brand new white dress (laughs) and the appeal of the whole thing was just turning around for jesus I love this. It's uh, kind of like T-Pain recalls yeah. his time with the 700 Club. <laughs> this is something. Did you know how popular these videos would get? It was a total accident. I had, in my old act, I had a, a very storytelling kind of thing going on, talking about my upbringing and very, like, two, almost two personal sort of stories. They were embarrassing stories. And a lot of them are a little bit, Dark. I mean, you know, they're pain- some of them are painful stories. So it it was a very quick moment where I thought I'm gonna put I'm gonna sing I'm gonna sing these hmm. stories because they're so terrible. Some of them are so terrible. I'm just gonna sing it. It's so I think something about just the the unexpected awkwardness of hearing me see, say these embarrassing, cringy stories. But I'm I'm singing them to you. So. <laughs> Auto-tune makes everything yes. sound nice. <laughs> you know, social media platforms, they have their specific algorithms, you know? Josh, I'm curious, how do you change up your content according to what platform you're posting to? Man, I, I don't know. You got to be careful. I felt the other week, like last week, I was like, I think I'm a slave to the algorithm. Wow. Me too. I, and it's, I, it's like, I don't, it's like, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I'm like, if the algorithm says you posting reels today, you posting reels today. Okay. They say we're not doing reels anymore. It's like... We've almost kind of lost control, yep. but then I'm also getting my bills paid. <laughs> so it's like, I, I, I don't, you know what I mean? So I like to just do it with integrity and, and keeping my uh, my mental intact. I don't want to just be chasing something like a drug almost, trying to get that hit of likes and retweets, even though it's it can help me. I kind of want, as long as I have my my um, my mental peace and I'm not aggravated or if a, if a video doesn't do too good, I'm like freaking out. Because that happens, too. Mm-hmm. You put something into it. You do it all day. You do it for two days, and no one cares, or they're not getting the nuances. 
then I blame them sometimes and it's not their fault. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So as long as I can keep my peace and just create, because we got to do this constantly. Yep. It, like it's it's like an everyday job. You how, know? how much are you all posting per day? <sighs> Even if I'm not posting, I'm thinking about posting. It just never <laughs> turns off. So like I try to post literally as much as possible, but then you got regular life. Yeah. You know, you got to, you know, walk your dog, mm-hmm. you know, go on a date, make love. Mm-hmm. But, you know, outside of that, it's just posting. I hear that. So, I mean, what I, I just kind of, I try to stay tuned into the algorithm, man, and, and see what works and just, and do that. And then I'm also trying to find myself. I've only been doing comedy for five years. So in the midst of doing this content, I'm still trying to find out who I am creatively. And hopefully, you know, on the way to my, my tenure mark or my mastery mark, I can have it all figured out, you know? Yeah, sometimes people say, like, oh, don't take it too seriously. It's just a silly social media app. And it's like, it's not a silly app no. when it's your right money. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can't, you know, you have to pay attention to it. And I've For sure. felt that so many times where, yeah. like, I had a week where I was posting stuff and it felt like the views were going down. It's oh, like, man. No. Yep. Yep. It's like, whoop, it's this all can't over. happen. <laughs> I had a good run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil A. Colonna. We're talking this hour about social media influencers. My guests are comedians Joshua Black and Kevin James Thornton. And Saba is still with us. He runs the Nashville Hidden Gems account. Now, like Joshua and Kevin, your brand grew out of your passion. And even as you gain popularity, tell me, how do you stay true to that passion that you have for highlighting the international food in our city? You know, I mean, in the most simplest way, it's, I mean, these are my favorite places, you know. Uh, I enjoy eating these places, the places that make me feel like home. And I think what, what they represent is just... Um, it's so important, you know, um, these are places where I think sometimes in America, we can romanticize the, the immigrant story and people coming and having success here. But, you know, and I can't speak for all immigrants, but, you know, even when you have success in America and you have financial success, it's there's nothing that can make up for that distance of, of, of your home and your home cuisine and being around people who speak your language and who can say your name properly. And so these places, they're, they're these little communities for the, where these people can feel safe from these different nationalities. And I just love going there and trying these different foods because, you know, there's all these new concepts popping up, but sometimes they look good for the, for the gram and everything, but the food doesn't hit. And like in these places that I love on Normansville Pike, Murfreesboro Road, uh, Antioch, they like the food is delicious. And I, I have a passion for food. I grew up with a family that loves food. And so it's not hard for me to, to frequent these restaurants because this is what I love doing. Kevin, how about you? Is it tough to keep up with feeding the beast and still fueling your personal passion for this? I feel like I've kept a decent balance. Like we were just saying, I, you know, it's it's hard to not get worried if it feels like your numbers aren't great. But I'm living my dream, man. It's like this this whole thing has unlocked the keys to an unexpected thing I didn't see coming. So I'm super grateful. And even if there's moments that feel like a little bit of work or, you know, having to pay attention to things I don't want to, I'm so incredibly grateful and blown away that this is happening so it makes Mm -hmm. it worth it i feel really good so it's kind of an even trade-off for becoming a slave to the algorithm yes we did an episode on ai last week so now that the Mm. fact that both of you are doing very well with this and willingly becoming slaves to the algorithm (laughs) Mm -hmm. wow we should go back and listen to that episode yeah it's like it's like it's like a dragon you gotta just or, or maybe like a bull you're riding the bull it's a wild thing it could kill you but if you know what you're doing you can handle it. Okay. Also, is it pronounced? This is a uh, um, for a Nas. Is it pronounced gyro or yero? Ennis. 
You know, I grew up saying uh, saying gyro, and then I got I got roasted for it, and everyone told me it's gyro. Ah. Uh, I think uh, if you're a, if you're a frequent customer, I think you can call it what you want. I think that's real. Okay, good to know. My girl was right. That's well, crazy. here's a question: Who got the best gyros in town? Ooh, silence. No, I can't. Man, that's a hard. I I, I hate having to pick a favorite, but I'll say as far as like kebabs, uh, what I I really love is um, Mazi International Market and Edessa. They they have some delicious food. So right in that little Kurdistan area mm. on using fields uh, Nolensville Pike, you can't go wrong over there. Okay, all right, I'm gonna take his word for it. Okay, in the last segment we talked about how influencers can monetize your content. You all are obviously you talked about paying bills. You're able to make money from this. How are you able to do this, Josh? Well, the thing about OnlyFans is if you put your heart into it, <laughs> no, <I'm sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> but no, well, it just depends, man. Like at the end of the day, advertisers are going. It's moving because technology changes. Like when the TV was invented, all the advertising went from the radio to the television, mm-hmm. and then now it's the phone. So now all the advertising is going from the Super Bowl to these big influencers. So. Because we are where the eyes are, it's it's all about, I guess, um, who you're talking to. And if who you're talking to, you figure out what they're buying, those companies would love to reach out through you to get their products sold. So as long as it's something that you want to sell, that you feel comfortable with your people having, I think uh, it's it's endless opportunity. But sometimes you might have to go get it. They might not know you. Mm-hmm. A company may not even know that you're, your value and what you can do for them. And because we're still on the curve to where a lot of these companies are still kind of old and don't really know what to do with the influencers. So a lot of times you got to set your own rules. That's what I've been doing. Kevin, have you reached out to companies to let them know of the audiences you're exposed to? I haven't. And that's this is the one thing that I'm a little bit different in this realm is pretty much all of my income is ticket sales to my live shows. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So... Yeah, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm inspiring Josh to... Yeah, yeah. Dude, was outside talking. I'm like, I've been missing so much paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, like, cause he's, do- he's getting to the bread and the butter. Butts in the seats when you're doing yeah. stand-up like we are, that is the bread and butter. Because uh-huh. a lot of people are funny online, and then they get, you know, they either can't fill the seats or they're not funny enough to keep the people coming back. Mm-hmm. So yes. the fact that he's get that's the bread and butter. Yeah, so that's, I mean, so I'm sort of making money social media adjacent. Yeah, you okay. Know? And, uh, you know, f- and there are not a lot of influencers who could stand on stage for exactly. an hour. That's, I mean, we're kind of different beasts in that way. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's definitely two different art forms. Okay. Being funny online and doing content and doing stand-up is two different things. So what we're doing is two completely separate things, and that's why you can live off of either one of them, mm-hmm. or hopefully both. Now, Joshua, what's the craziest request a company or a follower has asked of you? Uh, I run a I won a lawsuit recently, and I've had at least twelve cousins reach out to me to just say they were thankful and they were proud of me, and that we should grab coffee. Yes, <laughs> so I'm sure that's going to come with a a funeral bill or something. The ask is going <laughs> to so, come after that. Yeah, yeah. So just crazy stuff like that. Or sometimes people don't really know get comedy. They ask me to do shows for them. And the money's good, so I take it. And then I realize when I get there, it's like for a children's daycare. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, my God. And they're like, yeah, you got to do an hour. I'm like, an hour for toddlers that don't even speak English? So I'm up there just like goo-goo-ga-ga. I did kill, though, so <laughs> I, I murdered with the kids. <laughs> Have you back. Now, now, and as you represent Nashville to people who don't live here and may be up for a visit, how important is it to you to show them you know what our city is really like, other than kind of the more common tropes we see out there? You know, I think uh, as a local, like a lot of the things that sometimes appeal to tourists, tourists don't appeal to us. And kind of what I touched on earlier, you know, I think people coming to Nashville, they want like the real deal. They want 
something good. And, you know, I mean, quite frankly, a lot of the, the, these places that, that cater to tourists, I don't think they really represent uh, the best that Nashville has to offer. You know, I mean, one place that was amazing and I'm sad to see go was, was Arnold's country kitchen. Mm -hmm. That was a place I always recommended to people because it's right there downtown and you really can't, um, I feel like you really can't tell the story of Nashville without, uh, without that place. And so we're definitely going to miss it. Uh, so yeah, I, I want people to know that Nashville is more than just honky tonkin and Broadway, you know, there's the city offers a lot and, uh, and that's, uh, that, and I think people appreciate that, you know, getting to kind of have that inside scoop, uh, people really respond to that. You know, Josh, a lot of your early content was Nashville focused. What was mm -hmm. your goal? Um, I don't know. I just wanted to be funny and I did a few jokes about Nashville and it just, ate it up and they were like oh we want more I'm like well I know about Antioch I know about Madison I know about North Nashville I know about black folks white folks Kurdish folks and I just gave out kind of what I observed and translated into humor and people just ran with it how do you hope to influence the city on this broad scale um I just kind of want to represent it in a nice way we've you know I feel like our superstars have come pretty much mainly from country music Mm -hmm. uh, so outside of that realm, no matter what you're in, whether you're a chef, a comedian, a photographer, a visual artist, we haven't had a lot of success outside of that. So one thing I want to do is just say, hey, we're not just country music. That's become almost like, like, duh, we, everyone says that. But I just want people to like see it like, oh, this guy's funny or that guy can paint really well or this guy knows good food. So one of the main reasons is to kind of put Nashville up there as like more than um, Broadway. Broadway's cool, you know, mm -hmm. if you're into drugs. But... You know, and I'm alcohol and judge. abuse, but it gets a little wild. <laughs> yeah, it gets wild down there, dude. Yeah. Real crazy. You know, Kevin, how about you? How do you think about using your platform to influence the city? I am an old school Nashville person. I moved here in 1999. I've lived in every neighborhood. I've seen it through every transition. I lived in a Chevy Beretta on the streets of Sylvan Park for a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I've been through it in this town, you know, and honestly got to a point where I felt like I didn't make it in Nashville and I still called it home and felt good to be here. And so, you know, I've been through a, so many evolutions mm -hmm. in this place. So I, I, I feel connected to it deeply. I got 30 seconds left. I want to ask you both, Kevin, what type of content can we expect from you in 2023? More of the same. Cause I'm scared. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I've actually been trying to, uh, make more personal, relatable things. Mm -hmm. yeah. Looking forward to it. Josh, any new material? Um, Same but better. Same but better and uh, just more and more experimental stuff. So if I bomb, just know I'm working on stuff. All right. That <laughs> is comedian and social media influencer Joshua Black. He was joined by fellow comedian and influencer Kevin James Thornton and international food influencer Ennis Saba. I want to thank you all for being here today, and we hope to see you on the algorithm. Oh, yeah. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, Tennessee's primary abortion care fund saw a surge in donations after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. How are they faring now? This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme musical, Orange and Demir Blade. Special thanks to Lee Love. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.